Hi, this is David Orlovsky, and welcome to the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. I hope you appreciate that in the ever-changing saga of the Rabbi Orlovsky sign, um, there was so much interest that it actually physically grew. So it is now much larger. This is not, there is not a problem with your, you know, uh, feed. Do not try to adjust your computer. This is reality. The truth of the matter is that uh, I turned 60 and my children made me a 60th birthday party. And uh, they made this very large Rabbi Olavsky show see live, because this really is not live. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't sound good to say Rabbi Olavsky show dead, right? So that's kind of depressing. But this is, uh, this is the gigantic sign that came up. They also made a video going around um, asking various people to wish me a, uh, a happy birthday, uh, like this one. Hi, Rabbi Orlovsky. Just wanted to say happy birthday. Yom Huletet Sameach and Zygazund. And there are many others, which uh, we will be highlighting in the weeks to come, because I know you're as interested in seeing people wishing me happy birthday as much as I am. <laughs> so uh, that's going to be coming up um, in the weeks ahead. We still have uh, sponsorship opportunities available. This week is being sponsored by Anonymous as a uh, bracha for them. And I happen to know them very well. I know that they are watching. And, uh, you know, my heart goes out to you with all my warmth and feeling and all my good wishes and brachas. And uh, thank you so much for having this chus of bringing this, um, whatever it is, to many, 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 many people. I don't even know how many people anymore because I keep meeting more and more people who say, oh, I just found out your podcast. I've just started watching and I don't know how to track these numbers anywhere. But I'm guessing we're well over 10,000 now by the, based on the fact that that's what I think and there's no really no way you can disprove me either. So <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> hey, 10,000. So whether you're watching on TorahAnyTime.com or YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts, we're happy to have you along. And uh, this is episode 17. Unbelievable, episode 17. And uh, this is the, um, this is uh, going out, Parshish Mishpatim. And uh, I want to, uh, I want to share a thought. And um, uh, maybe it's a little more uh, serious than usual, but I'll explain to you why. Uh, this past week uh, was my father's yard site was Yud Zayin Shvat. This coming week is my mother's yard site, which is Chav Gimel Shvat. Uh, Shvat is a very important date for me, a month for me. I may have mentioned this already. Um, I was born in Shvat, and uh, my mother passed away in Shvat, my father passed away in Shvat, and I passed away in Shvat. Um, as luck would have it, I came back but two major doctors told me I was supposed to be dead. And I remember I was very surprised because I had a heart attack on my birthday. And I said to my wife, as the ambulance was taking me away, I don't understand tzaddikim die on their birthdays. And I've worked my whole life not to be a tzaddik. <laughs> so it turns out I was right. <laughs> and uh, God didn't want me. And uh, in fact... You know, um, my, uh, my oldest brother, who passed away in Nissan, <clears throat> so my mother, who was already well on in her 80s, was 
inconsolable as a mother who loses a child can be. And she would, I wasn't able to fly in. It was after my, my heart attack. So this was five years ago. It was after my heart attack. I wasn't allowed to fly to sit shiver with my family. I sat shiver here. And, um, and, uh, and my mother would say to everybody, you know, why? Why did, why did Jason die? Why not me? I said to God, take me. I'm an old woman. You know, I've lived my life already. You know, why Jason is a young man. He has children yet to marry off. You know, take me, take me. Now, what do you say to a mother who's, who's asking you why her son died, you know, and why she didn't die? And no one knew what to say. So I called up to make a shiva call, and my mother says to me, why? Why did Jason die? Why didn't I die? And I said, because God doesn't want you. You're a cranky old woman. Jay's a lot of fun. He wanted him up in heaven. He'll get to you eventually. <laughs> right now, you can't ask why he didn't take you. He doesn't want you. And my mother said, that's the first thing anyone said that makes any sense. <laughs> so mom... I know you're watching up there, <laughs> for sure. That's why I have so much trouble calculating how many people are watching, because I'm sure they're showing this uh, up in uh, all of my MS. So, uh, gosh, I don't know how many people are watching it, but, you know, but people come to me times when I'm sleeping. People have passed away, and they say, love the podcast. <laughs> anyway, I'm just kidding about that. Anyway, but, uh, but uh, the fact of the matter is that, um, that there's a... Uh, there's a um, there's something special about that. In fact, w one of my kids told me they saw my mother towards the end. Um, uh, I remember it was, uh, I brought her into the hospital. I was there when she came in. And uh, the doctor, not her main doctor, the other doctor, they said, listen, the test results are, are so bad that this is basically it. You know, I, I don't think you're going to make it now. I think you should be thinking about hospice. And my mother said, oh, you're a ray of sunshine, aren't you? <laughs> but uh, I, I said, you know, my mother has her 90th birthday coming up in November. Anyway, you could just keep her around until then. And the doctor was kind of surprised by this reaction because it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> I said, you know, by Olavsky's, it all goes by the parties. You know what I mean? So like if you could just keep them around, you know. Anyway, but, uh, but when she realized she never had a lot of time left, she told one of my kids, she says, I'm trying not to be so cranky so that God will finally take me. Yeah. So, uh, so 89 years that she lived in this world. When she passed away, they put up a poster um, of the great-grandchildren, of the 60 great-grandchildren. It's now over 70. All of whom are being brought up in Torah and Mitzvahs. I, I want you to appreciate this. Yeah? My mother's father started the Green Line Bus Company. Yeah, if you're from the New York area, you might have seen the Green Line Bus Company. My grandfather started that with one bus. And uh, then he brought his, uh, his brothers over from Europe. He put them in the business, and he built it into a major, a major bus company. He, they were very comfortable. <clears throat> they lived in Laurelton, which back then was considered a very fancy neighborhood. You know? Anyway, my grandfather passed away young from pneumonia. They, they didn't have the antibiotics. And... Uh, and the other brothers got together and squeezed out my grandmother so that I lost my bus company. Whenever I go to New York and I see a Green Line bus, I say, that's my bus. To think, instead of a rabbi, I could have been a bala bus. But anyway, <laughs> but, uh, but my mother told me that her father did not go to shul on Yom Kippur. Nothing. 
Now, so that you appreciate the contrast, her mother was the daughter of a big rav in Vilna, Avram Fischel Rudnitsky. I once saw an article where they wrote up about him. He was a big time chacham, and he also had pulled with the government. He was able to stop a pogrom once, you know. And so Mamash came from a rabbinische family, and uh, they explained, you know, back then you were lucky you found the Jewish person to get married to, you know. And uh, my mother grew up like that. My father grew up in Brownsville. Um, poor, 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 poor. Yeah. My, um, my uh, mother, when she first got married, so my father says, ah, oh, I always loved my mother's cabbage bread, cabbage soup. Um, my mother tried every recipe. By the way, since this is part of the show, <laughs> I'll share with you my mother's cabbage soup recipe. It is one of the easiest things in the world to make. Yeah? You take a head of cabbage and you cut it up. You cut it up, put it in the pot. Take a package of flanken, put it in. Put in, I don't know, three, four cans of Hunt's tomato sauce and uh, add water and sugar. Boil it up until it gets nice and good. Yeah? Uh, three hours. I don't know what you cook it for. It is out of this world. We always make it uh, sukkahs. Sometimes we make it other times. But when you're sitting outside in the sukkah and it's chilly, you have that. Anyway, so my mother kept trying to make the cabbage bread. Yeah? And whatever she made, my father says, it's good, but it's not like my mother's. Yeah? So one day he was in the old neighborhood, and she says to my father, Moshele, you want some cabbage bread? And he's like, sure. And he comes home and says, my mother is a terrible cook. <laughs> I must have been so hungry. <laughs> I just, anything I ate was delicious, you know? I didn't realize it. He says to my mother, you're such a great cook, you know? So, uh, so my father grew up dirt poor, but he grew up in an Orthodox home, but he had no Jewish education whatsoever. So when they, when they got married, they agreed to keep a kosher home because um, it was a, uh, uh, my grandfather wouldn't eat there otherwise, made it clear. They kept the kosher home, and, um, and uh, we, uh, you know, we grew up. We went to the conservative synagogue, you know, and I have a brother who's a genius. I mean, all my brothers are geniuses, don't get me wrong, but one is like, you know, a sick genius, yeah. And, um, and uh, they told him, listen, you've got to send him to private school. So my father came from Brownsville, you know, about a private school. He sent him to Hebrew County in Nassau County. And, uh, and uh, Rabbi Findel convinced him to send the three younger boys who were just starting school. And that's how we ended up in yeshiva, and that's how eventually we all became from. And that's how my mother, when she passed away, had 60 great-grandchildren being brought up in Torah Mitzvahs. And you can follow down other lines of the family, almost nothing. I mean, there were Baruch Hashem, a few, but for the most part, almost nothing from other branches of the family. And... I remember I said to my father, I said, uh, how'd you make the decision to, uh, you know, to send everybody to yeshiva? It must have been expensive. And my mother told me, she says, well, your father had just gone bankrupt. Uh, he, he had a flower shop, and he was working with caterers, and evidently the expenses were more than the income, and he went bankrupt. He later paid everybody back, but, you know, he had gone bankrupt. And I said to my mother, when was that? She says, just when you were born. She says, every child brings their own luck, she says to me. And, um, and uh, he says it was very hard to make a decision to send four kids to yeshiva. I said, so what did you do? He says, so uh, I didn't get a new dress. You know, your father didn't buy a new car. You know, we, we scrimped. We, we had to get by. But, uh, 
to give our kids a Jewish education. That was something that was very important. <clears throat> and all of this is leading up to what I really want to speak about this week. My, uh, my father said, I heard this actually from a regattisman, not from my father, who I had the schuss to speak about it in an earlier podcast. Um, Rabbi uh, Rigazman, he says, uh, my father said, when he wanted to enroll the kids, he says, but I'm not Shema Shabbos. My kids will go to yeshiva, and they'll look down at me. Which, by the way, is a very serious consideration. Because um, um, we, uh, with Moshe Feinstein, you know, somebody wanted to start with Tefilos HaShachar and Brachos, instead of Elumetzias, like they usually did. And he says, no, it's more important that kids learn that if you find the lost object, you return it. And if so, you should know what belongs to you and what belongs to other people. <clears throat> and afterwards, he told his son, he says, there's another reason. You'll learn about something called, you know, Sosman uh, Kriyashma and Sosman Tvila, and they'll see that their parents don't do it. And uh, a bit of a contradiction. Yeah. You know, there's that... that Always that moment when when kids realize that their parents aren't perfect. Yeah, I was learning Navi with my son. Today's in his thirties, and we used to learn after davening on Shabbos. And we we chaza over, and something came up in the Navi, and uh, I didn't remember it. Could be I learned it as a kid. You know, I didn't remember it. And I remember he looked at me and he says, "How could you not know this? You're an Abba." I said, because I didn't have the schus to go to a cheder in Yerushalayim like you did. And one day when you're a big Rosh Hashiva, I'll sit in your, in your shir and listen to you teach Torah. I don't think the answer was uh, satisfactory as I would have hoped it would have been, you know, <laughs> because, you know, we'd like to believe, you know. So he says, what's going to, so that's why Rib Moshe says, you know, you're, you're going to teach it to people about Zmanim and they'll see their parents don't keep it. It'll be, the contradiction will be very difficult. And that's what my father said to every Gaddisman. He says, I'm going to send my kid to Yeshiva and uh, then they're going to see I don't keep Shabbos and they're going to look down at me. And he said, the first thing we teach them is Kibbut Aveim. That's the first thing we teach them. Is that there's Kibbut Aveim. <coughs> uh, Rashi in Parshas Bashalach, he says that Mora, he gave them three Parshios to learn. Says um, Dinan, which is obviously this week Parshas Mishpatim, and Paraduma, and Shabbos. The Gemara in Sanhedrin says also Kivit Avehim. Why didn't he teach that? Why didn't he give that? And the Maharal says, he explains why those three categories, but he says there's a fourth category of mitzvahs called mitzvahs tivius. They're part of who we are as a person. And Kivit Avehim fits in over there. Kivit Avehim fits in over there. Because it's natural to a person to want to honor their parents. Somebody gave a share and claimed that you can learn Midas Tov and all kinds of good behavior from Goyim. And uh, he brought uh, a raya from Deva ben Nasina, famous Gemara in Kedushan, where his father was sleeping. He didn't want to wake him up to get the key to the safe, to open it up, to get the jewel, to sell to the base of Mikdash. And in return for that, he ended up with a paradum. So he says, you see from this that you can learn out Midas Tavas from an Anju. Ramosha Shapiro quoted this story once in Shir, and he says, what you see from this story is that you can learn out Kibbut aim from a guy. Didn't say you can learn out anything from a guy. 
And uh, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find other stories of where we learn out, you know, uh, midos. I'm not talking about manners. You know, it says, you know, you learn how to eat properly from the Persians. They, had a, they knew how, you know, manners. I'm not talking about manners. I'm talking about in the performance of mitzvahs of how to do things from an Anjou. But by kivit of hey, that you can do because that's mitzvah TV. It's part and parcel of who we are as a person. So you come to this week's parsha, and it says the following. If somebody is tunneling into your house to kill you, oh, excuse me, to rob you, you're allowed to kill him. Why? Because he's a road thief. If you catch him in the act of breaking into your house, he'll kill you out of desperation. Says the Pasek, unless it's clear as day that he won't kill you. And what does that mean? If it's your father. If your father is sneaking into your house, he's not going to kill you. But your son might. <laughs> your son might kill you. Yeah. And I've asked this question to audiences all around the world, of all religious affiliation. Um, and I say, of all ages, who loves who more? Parents love children more or, or children love parents more? And they all say parents love children more. They're all saying. Because I had a student once who said to me clearly, I don't owe my parents anything. They owe me. They chose to have me. Now I'm their responsibility. They have to take care of me. I said, well, what if your parents says, I'm sorry, I realized they made a mistake. Let's solve it right now. You understand? No, they're not allowed to. Once they decide to have me, they have no choice now. They owe me. I don't owe them anything because I didn't choose this relationship. Which, by the way, is a very, very powerful statement. Because the nature of a relationship is that it's defined by the person who wants it least. So a person says to a young lady, I love you with all my heart and soul and want to spend the rest of my, rest of my life with you. And she says, you are horrible and disgusting. I never want to see you again. Okay, so we'll compromise and be good friends. You know, it doesn't work that way. If, if one person doesn't want the relationship, the relationship will not take place. That's how it works. This is the difficulty in our relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Because the Kaddish Baruch Hu created us, and so people have the ability to say, like this young man said, God chose to create me. Now I don't owe him anything. He owes me. And he put me in this world. Yeah. So, therefore, Kodesh Baruch Hu gives us the opportunities to do mitzvos. That's why we're in this world, to choose. What is the choice? I heard this many times from Moshe Shapiro. The choice is not, should I have vanilla or chocolate ice cream? He says, a cat has that choice. Should I jump around in this garbage can or that garbage can? That, that kind of choice we're not talking about. Choice is one thing. Will I listen to Hashem or not? That is the only thing that determines Bechira. Am I going to give my Ratzon over to Kodesh Baruch Hu or not? And that's why when it says, uh, we're only in this world to be Mamlech HaKodesh Baruch Hu. Or as it says in the end of Pirkei Avos, uh, everything created for this Kavod. Because Kavod and Malchus are the same thing. The one thing a Kodesh Baruch Hu can't do in this world is give himself Kavod. If you give yourself Kavod, it doesn't have value. You get an invitation to a dinner, I'm honoring myself. Come down, 
It's not for any organization. It's just me. I'm so impressed with what I've accomplished. I've decided to make my own dinner. Yeah, I'm going to present myself for an award. And I'm going to have people come in, make maudlin speeches about me, you know, and I'm going to get up at the end and say, uh, I am so humbled that I've been chosen for this award. <laughs> you understand? It has no value. Yeah. Same thing with Malchus. You can't crown yourself. And that was why when Napoleon Bonaparte, who was a product of the French Republic, where they killed the monarch and they were supposed to do away with the monarchy, decided to make himself a king. Because he felt like he wasn't going to get the respect in Europe unless he was a king. So he gets the Pope to crown him. And just before the Pope crowns him, he takes the crown and puts it on his own head. That the Pope shouldn't crown him. And everybody laughed at him. You can't make yourself a king. Yeah, you can't, you can, you can make yourself a ruler, you can be a Moshe, you can make yourself a dictator, you can make yourself a tyrant, you can force other people, but a melech is only by people um, wishing upon it. Yeah? I'm Arthur, king of the Britons. I didn't vote for you. You don't vote for a king. How do you become a king? The lady of the lake clad in the most shimmering sapphires, brought forth from the bosom of the water Excalibur, thereby signifying by divine command that I am your king. Listen, strange women living in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. <laughs> a supreme executive command can only come from a mandate by the masses, not by some farcical aquatic ceremony. I, I mean, if I said I should be king because some crazy woman threw a sword at me, well, they'd lock me up. <laughs> Now, the point he was making, which I think is correct, <laughs> is that you know, monarchies and monarchies can only come from the masses. People have to decide to make you king. You can't make yourself king. You can make yourself a ruler, but you can't make yourself a king. To be a king, you have to be chosen. So only we can be Mamlech HaKadosh Baruch Hu because HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us Bechira. We could choose to give our Bechira over to HaKadosh Baruch Hu or not. But in order to do that, we have to recognize Avinu Sheba Shemayim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created us and gave us this. And that's why you should know it becomes complicated because people who have issues with their parents end up having issues with their uh, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yeah? Olawik told me about this uh, this girl. I, I do this with my kids, you know, when they're little. Yeah? I put them on top of the refrigerator and say, jump to Abba. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, come on, jump up, and they jump, and you catch them, and after a while, they, they you know, they enjoy it very much, you know, <laughs> they, they keep jumping off. By the time they're like 16 or 17, it's really embarrassing, but okay, you know, but just want to get a bigger refrigerator. But anyway, <laughs> but the, um, but, uh, you know, so this little girl had the same thing with her father, says, come jump, jump to, jump to daddy, he goes, I'm afraid, he goes, I'm going to jump to daddy, she jumps, and he stands back, and she falls, and hits the floor. And he says, you learned an important lesson. Never trust anybody. <laughs> so he says, can you imagine the trust issues this girl has? Yeah. And then you carry it over to HaKadosh Baruch Hu because our Father in Heaven. Yeah. So the Sefer Chinuch makes it clear. Yeah, we owe HaKaris Tov to our parents because they took care of us when they were children. When we were little. Changed our diapers and they fed us and they took care of it. And there was nothing in it for them at all. Yeah. If you're lucky, you get a smile. Understand? 
Mostly they ruin your life. That's what children do, right? Because when you want to go out, they get sick. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, they like to play with Lego, but they don't really, really play with Lego. They dump it on the floor so the pieces go everywhere, you know, and then they walk away and you pick up all the toys, you know, like, you know, and, or they pull out the Lego encyclopedia and they say, make me this, and you know, get down on the floor. And like to a father, this is a challenge. You start making it, the kid leaves, you know. And people come in and say, honey, the guests are here. You know, you're careful, I'm looking for this piece. You know, it's like, you know, you're going to finish that Lego horse, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and uh, you're making reports. You know, the kid comes in, like, you know, nine o'clock at night. I have a report to tomorrow, you know what I mean? And so the parents are working frantically. Trust me, I do much more homework now than I did when I went to school. You know, I didn't do that much in school, you know? And, you know. and this much I did learn from my parents that the important thing of any book report is the cover, you know? So you just have to spend a lot of time on the cover. Nobody really cares what's written inside of it, you know? The story is, the main characters are, my favorite part was, you know, like, you know, and uh, sometimes I didn't bother thinking I had a book and I'd make up something, you know, like, I had to write a report, I remember this on frozen food, I remember my mother got one of these snow sprays and put it on the outside to make the cover, you know, and, you know, and I just made, I took it from the encyclopedia, I pretended it was a book, and, you know, and the teacher said, I didn't know that uh, Tolstoy ever wrote a book about frozen food, I find this fascinating, I, I copied out a name from the shelf, you know, but, uh, you know, doing homework, you're taking care everything like that, you know? And I'm speaking now as a son, not as a father, yeah? But, um, uh, you know, you, as a child, you know, we grow up with this whole litany of complaints against our parents, you know? Oh, my father didn't do this for me, didn't do that for me, he wasn't emotionally supportive, he wasn't here, he wasn't that, you know? You know? Listen, I should, you know, I, I look at every day of my life today differently because two Two big doctors told me I should be dead, yeah? So every day is a gift. But if I go back, the fact that my parents decided to have me is a gift. My father had six boys, yeah? He chose to have six children at a time when that was not so common, to have, uh, to have large families. And he felt this was an imperative. This was something that was extremely important to him. It did not make his life easier. We are expensive, yeah? We're not as expensive as girls, yeah, like, <laughs> but we're expensive, you know? And, uh, you know, uh, he, and he spent money on us. I remember he sent us to camp, and the, and the accountant said to him once, you know, goes, I don't think you're in a financial position to send your kids to sleepaway camp. My father says, yeah, but they need it. They, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll script someplace else, you know? Uh, the, the amount of, of time that goes into it that I invested in it, I didn't appreciate my, my parents when they were alive, for sure not. I, I was not a particularly good son. I, I wasn't terrible, but I was okay. But, you know, if I could go back in time knowing what I know today, well, the appreciation I would give my parents is, is unbelievable. For nothing other than the gift of life. And the fact that they took care of me when I was little and they, and they, and they took me to the doctor and they, you know, and uh, the things that, uh, you know, that I was given a truly blessed life. Were they perfect? They weren't perfect. You know, but there are no perfect people. Yeah, the, the fact that they chose to have me and to be able to give to me was an unbelievable thing. The, the tragedy is, and I don't know why this is, but we write all these gedolim biographies and we write all these articles after they're dead when it's too late to do anything about it. When a person's alive and you appreciate who they are, then you could go and spend time and chase after them and know who they are, you know. Uh, Pesach Krohn, who also recorded a little message for my 60th birthday, yeah, um, he said once, he, he says, one of the, the gifts that I give people when they're going to Israel is I tell them which gedolim to go and visit, when you can go in and when you can go and see them. 
a chance to be able to see them and be able to speak with them. You know, those of us who've had this chus to speak to Gedele Torah, what, a, what an unbelievable opportunity. And then they pass away and they're not around anymore. And, uh, and we missed that opportunity. We missed that opportunity. We let it slip away. Why? Because we didn't appreciate what we had when we had it. Yeah. Same thing is true with our parents. Those of you who are, who are blessed that you have parents, you know, I'm, you know, when my mother passed away, and I said to somebody, I said, now I'm an orphan. I'm an orphan, you know. And, uh, and not, not that I don't have good friends and good people in my life, you know what I mean? But there's something special about calling your mother, calling your father before Yantif, to wish a good Yantif, to, you know. When my father was alive, you know, I, I said this, as long as you have a father, you can be a kid. And once you, once you lose that, then you have, to, you have to become the adult. You, know, you fill in that, that role. You become, and who will be the Zaydi of our children? And who will be the Zaydi if not we? An amazing thing. Amazing thing when we have an opportunity. And Baruch Levine just wrote, a, just wrote a song for his parents' 25th anniversary about how we pass on to our children we got from them. By the way, he also recorded a message. We'll have him on as well. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the amazing things that, uh, that, that the gifts are that we get from our parents that we don't appreciate at the time. And so we have mitzvahs in this, tira, in this parasha, yeah? Don't. Don't hit your parents. <laughs> That's, you know, you have Misa for that, you know. I had this terrible situation with my mother towards the end when she was sick, and I was supposed to test her blood. And if, if you prick your parents and you bring out a drop of blood, I said, you have Misa for that, you know. It's a, a terrible situation. What do you do when you have a son who's a doctor? He's the master surgeon, you know, and his parents have to go into surgery. It, difficult, difficult, difficult situations. But I'm, you know, I, I wish that I had shared with my parents uh, when they were still alive how much I appreciated them. And, uh, and my, I think my, I had a chance to tell it to my mother. My father would have said, yeah, well, I wish you would have gone to college. <laughs> Which is what he always said. In fact, when they told me it's, it's almost the end with my father, I said, don't worry, I'll get him out of bed. I'll tell him I got a ticket. Watch how fast he'll get out of that bed. <laughs> but, uh, you know, perfect, nobody's perfect. But the hakaris atov that we have to have to our parents, the appreciation for it is something that is, is so tremendous. Those of you who have this opportunity, take advantage of it. Those of you who don't, you know, uh, cherish those memories, you know. Um, it's not that, that there are no bad memories. It's just, uh, like we say in Rosh Hashanah, all the evil disappears like a puff of smoke, because it's not real. It's the good things we do that's real. It's all the good memories of our parents that are real, and all the other stuff is just narishkeit, just make-believe, smoke, it's illusion. Let's appreciate it. That's it for this week. If you want to find out more about... Uh, the show. You can visit uh, rebbeolowski.com slash podcast. If you would like information or make a comment on this particular show, rebbeolowski.com slash podcast slash 17. Good golly, Miss Molly. If you want to find out about upcoming events, rebbeolowski.com slash events. And I can tell you now that 
The first Shabbos in uh, February, I'm going to be at Kerev Tuni, and uh, that's Sunday night. I'm going to be speaking in the Muncie area. And uh, I still have dates available at the end of February. Those of you who would like to, uh, to bring Rabbi Alonsky to come and speak, it's not too late. Yeah, you don't have to bring me to come and speak. I, I can set up chairs, I cook supper, you know what I mean? When, <laughs> whatever you want, I am available, you know? If you, uh, you're making a simcha and you just need somebody to serve, you know, set up the chairs and things, so. I do that too. Magic shows, I am available for children's parties. Anyway, <laughs> if you'd like to contact me, rabbiolowski.com slash contact. And uh, if you would like to sponsor an episode, you go to rabbiolowski.com slash podcast and click on sponsor an episode. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Mm-hmm.